0: Some of you returned from from holidays. It's good to see you back. Um, as Matt said, we, I, I'm going to talk about miracles tonight, and um, this kind, this is a. I thought this would be quite an easy one actually, but it turned out to be quite a big topic. Who knew? There's lots of miracles in Scripture. Um, you know, it's a big topic, um, and so I'm I'm going to I'm going to almost finish it today. But there's a couple of key things that I'm going to carry over uh, next week when we kind of conclude. Uh, this whole series so you know to those who are here for the first time or those who are returning you know we're finishing a rather long series um another i guess three months or so series um, on the gifts of the spirit um and just before before i go any further um just one of the one of the people who just intercedes over the over the over this body um just a sense that there that there are some people in the room who um, just maybe feeling cut off from God um, to some degree, um, not feeling worthy of Him, not feeling worthy of His attention or His His time or even His love, you know. Um, and it just, and it's just this is just break. Um, so I just wanna, I just want to pray over that before before I say any more, um, and then and then I'll start the sermon. So would you would you pray with me, Lord Jesus? Um, We stand on the truth of your scripture that says that there is nothing that can separate us from your love. And Lord, that there is no sin that is too great for your blood. Jesus, you are my righteousness. You are our righteousness. All we have to do is say yes to you. Nothing is beyond your forgiveness. Lord, for any heart in this room, any person in this room that feels cut off from you, Lord, whether it's through um, their own sin, their own issues, or whether things have been done against them, I pray that you'd break this lie that they are not worthy of your love or that you're not interested in them. For you, Father, are intentional towards us. Your gaze is upon us. You know our thoughts. You know the days of our lives. So, Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts tonight. That we would hear your will. That we would hear your truth. That we would grow ever more excited about being your children and walking with you. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Thanks, guys. Um, so, um, just um, obviously talking about miracles. Okay, so the, the first thing I'm, I, I wanted to just ask you is to kind of um, maybe just do a little bit of self-examination as I speak. Um, so you know, when I, when I use that word miracle, when I if I, if I use the phrase you know, signs and wonders, whatever sort of other lovely phrase we like to use, um, like what does your heart do? Do you think? Like, yeah, I believe. Like, I give intellectual assent. Or, yeah, I think they still happen, but I've never seen one. Um, do you get excited? Like Oh, I want to see more. I believe I want to see more. You know, there's, there can be a whole spectrum of where we can stand. Um, and I hope by the end of tonight that you'll be in that kind of excited column if you're not there already. Uh, and, and if there's... If there's skepticism, I hope it'll, it'll break. Um, I'm, not, I'm not gonna read um, the list of gifts in Corinthians. I think we, we've read it enough. Suffice to say, the gift of miracles, like gift of discernment, and gift of tongues, and many other gifts, just gets the one phrase, without any expansion. Now, Paul simply says that some people have the gift of working miracles. Okay, and I'll come back and talk a little bit about what that means later. Um, but like with some of the other gifts, we have, to, we have to draw from Scripture. But this one's a bit easier, because obviously we see miracles throughout Scripture. You know, we see so many examples of God doing the miraculous. Uh, and so it's, it's definitely more explicit for us. Um, and Paul, um, in 1 Corinthians 12, 29, 30, you know, Paul is, is writing about the gifts and talking about us as the body. Um, that we all don't have all the gifts. And that would be cool, but, God knows that would mess us up, okay? So, you know, he, he, he gives each of us different gifts so that as a body we would come together and be one. Like that, I need the prophets in the room. I need people who, who chase God for healing. I need people who can pray against demons, you know, and see deliverance, and see the power of God move. Like he brings us all together as a body. But Paul in 1 Corinthians 12, you know, he says this, do all perform miracles, um, you know, rhetorically. Not everyone here is gonna be regularly seeing miracles move. But I think of the gifts, this gift is one of those where I think we see less people carry it a lot and more people carry it infrequently. Okay, Which is another way of saying we should all be operating in the gift of miracles at some stage. Or at the very least we should be open to God operating with the gift of miracles through us. Okay, But then there are people There are people who stand apart. Um, And they, I believe, are to be a huge encouragement to us that this is a gift that God wants to see. It is a gift that expands his kingdom. It's a gift that messes with us, breaks our intellectualism down, (laughs) and messes with the world. I'll tell some stories later. So as usual with this series, I've been reading some theologians. Um, Sam Storm's book, uh, Sam Storm's book again is amazing if we wanna press into the gifts of the Spirit in more detail. Um, And he actually spends quite a lot of time in his book talking about miracles. Um, And I just wanna run through this quite quickly, but he looks at the church as a whole and and he says, he talks about five different categories of Christians of which I'm gonna talk about four. The fifth is a bit too complicated to go through tonight. Um, But really quickly, and again, this is kind of a a heart check for us, um, that, you know, he talks about Christians and essentially, you know, cessationist denominations um, who don't believe that miracles occur today. They do believe in a God of miracles. They do believe that God performed miracles, but that those miracles stopped in the early church, often at the time around when the Bible was written. And he calls these Christians typically cynical or negative in their attitudes towards miracles. And Sam Storms used to be one of those Christians, by the way. And then he talks about Christians who believe in miracles, but they believe they're really infrequent. Um, you know, it's interesting that within the Catholic Church that so one of the conditions you need for sainthood is to perform a miracle. Um, which I think is, you know, interesting, but I think it's quite sad. Like, are there that few people? Like, you know, every Christian should be a saint if that's the if that's the category. You know, we should all see God move through our lives and miracles at some stage. So Sam talks about these Christians not being being cynical, but just being skeptical, okay? Like, eh, maybe they happen, they kinda happen sometimes, but it's infrequent. And then the third category are those who believe that God performs miracles, but that they are purely God-moving, okay? They're a little bit more frequent, but they're definitely about God, when God wants them to happen, and there's no human agency involved, okay? Now, all miracles are always God, okay? But this sort of group of Christians doesn't believe that we have a role, okay? Which is kind of weird to me as well because the Bible is full of miracles where people are involved. And if we look, I I guess if we look at the Western church, maybe most of the Western church fits into those three categories, okay? And, And those three categories are really hard for me to reconcile with Paul saying that people in the church are supposed to operate in the gift of working miracles. And I have the gift of tongues, and I've had the gift of words of knowledge, and I've had the gift of healing at times, and I have had the gift of prophecy at times. I've I've seen all of these gifts operate in thousands of people throughout my life. And so I have to believe that the gift of miracles still operates. And the majority of the non-Western world believes in the gift of miracles, that this is the way that God operates. And that might be because they're not as intellectual as us and that's not a positive thing. I don't mean they're not as bright as us. It's just that they're not consumed by their minds like we are. Okay. we hold to a sort of scientific worldview. But if we think about kingdom life, we think about our position, we would definitely be in, the, in that position that believes that miracles still happen. That God wants us to partner with him. not a a kind of name it and claim it, not a crazy Pentecostal, I will get whatever I ask for, whatever I want, Okay, but that God wants to partner with me, and if I press into God, I will see him move in the miraculous, and that's his desire. It's not something that I'm trying to persuade him. More often than not, he's trying to persuade me to believe in him and his desire to operate in miracles. Okay. And that's not I say, this, you know, that's not a blame thing. That's just to say, I think often it's more about us than about him. So in anything I say today, please um, don't think at any stage that I'm talking about miracles in the sense of God being some sort of performer for us. Okay, God will always perform the miracles, but he's not a performer in the sense that he performs what we ask him to do. Okay, he is God. But what he does want us to do, what I, what I, what I wrote down is our responsibility, but it, that's a terrible word, responsibility. It feels too dry and onerous. Like, what is our, our joy? What should be our joy? It's to be pressing into him and seeking his heart and seeking to work with him when he's wanting to move in the miraculous. Yeah. And that's, that's our heart-checking in life. And I, and I hope that's your heart as well. So let's, let's turn to one of my favorite Old Testament miracles. 1 Kings 18, okay. I'm going to read quite a lot here. It's hard, you can't can't read a little bit of the story because it's so good, but I'm going to read it quite quickly because there's a lot. I'm going to jump through a few verses. But if I go to the Old Testament, this would be in my sort of top three or five, okay, of God working crazily. 1 Kings 18. Then Elijah said to the people, I am the only remaining prophet of the Lord, but Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us. Let the prophets of Baal choose one bull for themselves. Cut it into pieces and place it, on the, place it on the wood, but not light the fire. And I will prepare the other bull and place it on the wood, but not light the fire. Then you may call on the name of your God, and I will call, call on the name of the Lord, the God who answers by fire. He is God. Let's have a test, shall we? Okay. This is cool. All right. Um, and all the people answered. What you say is good. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Since you are so numerous, choose for yourselves one bull and prepare it first. Then call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. And they took the bull that was given them, prepared it, and called on the name of Baal from morning until noon, shouting, O Baal, answer us. But there was no sound. And no one answered as they leapt around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them, saying, Shout louder! He is a God. Perhaps he is deep in thought or occupied or on a journey. Perhaps he is sleeping and must be awakened. And Elijah took 12 stones, one for each tribe of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come and said, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones, Elijah built an altar in the name of the Lord. Then he dug a trench around the altar, large enough to hold two sayers of seed. Next, he arranged the wood, cut up the bull, placed it on the wood, and said, fill four water pots and pour the water on the offering and on the wood. Do it a second time, he said, and they did it a second time. Do it a third time. He said, and they did it a third time. So the water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. At the time of the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet approached the altar and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, so that this people will know that you, the Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the dust, and it licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell face down and said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Then Elijah ordered them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let a single one escape. So they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the Kishon Valley. And slaughtered them there. It's a pretty bloodthirsty ending, isn't it? Um, this is serious <laughs> prophetic stuff. We don't advocate for slaughter, at Kingdom Life. Um, so, <laughs> was that a bad joke? Sorry. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I, this I, I love the story. There, there's a great um, line in, in Corinthians four nineteen, um, I think to twenty two, when when Paul's challenging the Corinthians, and he says at one stage. Um, He says, I'm coming to see you. Do you want me to come with a rod or do you want me to come with love? Okay, I think it's love that he says. And he says, for the kingdom of God is not in words, but in power. He says, I want to hear the words of those who are leading you astray. I'm coming with power. I want to see what you've got. These are kind of echoes of Elijah in what Paul says. Willing to compete <laughs> on the basis of power. And you know, the this, this story is great. And if you read onwards, you'll know that Elijah goes from this amazing miracle, seeing God move, slaughtering his enemies, to being scared, and running away, and going into hiding. I don't see this confidence that Elijah has in this confrontation as being his own, but I see it as being something inspired by God. And he says, you know, I'm doing what you told me to do. I'm doing what you told me to do." And the Old Testament is obviously full of miracles. And I, and I, I wonder how our hearts respond. And there was, There's some strange ones. Was it Elijah or Elisha who set the bears on the kids? Elijah. Elisha. That's a weird one, let's be honest. But is that a miracle? Maybe. <laughs> making metal float in water, parting the sea. God does some strange things, bringing water out of a rock. God does some some strange things. And yet, we know from the New Testament that Jesus says that anyone born, anyone born in the new covenant is greater than anyone who came before him. John the Baptist was the greatest, and anyone who comes in his kingdom is greater. That all of these Old Testament prophets, they do these things, And do we see them as stories? Do we see these things as great men who did these things because God was with them? Or do we realize that these were men who did these things and they had the Spirit of God over them, but they didn't have the Spirit of God in them like we do? Okay? It's really important to get that. That they were marked by God, don't get that wrong. But we are actually marked to a greater degree. So we just, we just don't have the excuse that God doesn't do miracles and that he won't use us. Okay, we no longer have that available to us. So <laughs> when, I th- when I think about the prophets, they are blessed with the Spirit, the Spirit covers them. But the one thing, one thing that seems to set them apart are the characteristics that I think should set us apart as well. Right? They believe in God. They know God, and they believe in the power of God to do what he wills to do. And I don't think any of those things are beyond us. In some of Jesus' most famous words, John 14, Jesus says, truly, truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I am doing. He will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask before anything in my name, I will do it. Now I could spend 20 minutes just going through the theology around those words, and obviously theologians differ completely, and if you're a cessationist, you really have a, this is a tough scripture, you really have to try and get rid of it in some way. A lot of people argue about what does it mean by greater? And there's, there's different ways of interpreting that. Is it greater because now there's more people, the church is bigger, um, we're in an age where the Spirit is in us, all sorts of things. Or maybe he just means greater. Um, greater than walking in water, greater than feeding the 5,000, greater than raising the dead, greater than cleansing the lepers. Maybe greater does mean just that we're in the kingdom and it's greater and that might be true, but then, then he still says, you will do what I do. And so Jesus' bar is the low bar. Okay, it's the minimum that he gives us to operate in. Okay? So again, and that's not to condemn us in any way. That's to excite us. If you believe in me, you will do what I do. Okay, so theologicalize yourself out of that or believe him. That wasn't really a word. I just try to make it up. Theologicalize. Okay, it's not really a word. Okay, think through that theologically. See if you can get around it. I challenge you. Um, Then you know. And sometimes, sometimes our hearts might get excited, um, but then our brains click in, don't they? It's like, well, you know, this isn't really scientific. This isn't really really real. There's lots of theologians who don't agree with this. I'll I'll disagree with them, or whatever it is. and, and, and Bill, has, Bill Heath has often mentioned Craig Keener's book. Um, and the man wrote a 1,200 page book in two volumes with hundreds of pages dealing with the theology of miracles and then hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pages tracking miracles over the last 150 years that he is confident he can verify. Read J.P. Moreland. He's considered one of the world's greatest philosophers, whether Christian or secular, and the man is passionate about miracles, Flowing through the church. You don't have to turn your mind off to believe in miracles. If you read scripture and you believe what Jesus says, it's the natural place to go. Okay. It's to believe that He wants to operate in the miraculous. And you know, maybe like you, I I do sometimes, you know, my mind clicks in and maybe it's the devil, maybe it's the world. Saying, you know, really, do you think so? How long have you been trying? Is it really gonna happen? Are you really gonna see miracles? It's not really clever. Yeah, all these skeptical thoughts come in. You know, you're gonna spend your life pursuing God, and nothing's ever gonna happen, and then you're gonna die. (laughs) That's one of my more depressing thoughts, okay? But I figure, you know, if I get to heaven, and I'm before the throne of God, and and he says, you know, Nicholas, what on earth were you thinking, believing scripture and going after miracles? And I'll say, Lord, I read it like I thought you meant it and I got it wrong, you know? That's the worst possible thing that can happen. And and I'd rather that than me get to heaven and me say, well, you know, Lord, there's so many bright men who convinced me that this wasn't real. And I was so scared of people and looking stupid that I didn't really press in. I'd rather go with looking stupid before God on the former than fearing man. Many of the stories that I've told over the last few um, months have been um, miracles, okay? Um, miracles essentially are, there's lots of definitions, lots of theologians, different definitions. Um, the one that I th- like the most was so simple is that they are an extraordinary, unexplainable work of God. Another definition, definition is a clear breaking in of God into our lives, okay. An encounter with heaven in our lives. Now I like the first one, but I have a little caution in that I do believe that there are often times where God will work and there will be miracles and there may be things that we can explain, but they are still God, okay? David and Goliath, miracle? Did God direct that stone into Goliath's forehead? Was this boy without armor who defeated this giant of a man, this warrior? Was it just luck? Or was God's hand in it? I like to think of that as a miracle. I like to think of God in that situation, seeing his will done. But I can explain it through physics. Okay, So I don't think it always has to be something. That is unexplainable. My my mother-in-law had melanoma cancer a few years ago. Um, which is one of, the, one of the cancers that you cannot treat through radiation or any of the other treatments. And if it gets into your blood, you're basically you're dead. And by the time they found it, it was, she was stage four. It was pretty late, and, and it was in her lymph nodes. And we had the opportunity to go and stay with my in-laws before she was having surgery. And while we were there, I felt the Lord saying, every time that, she, that my in-laws leave the house, I need to go into their bedroom. I need to pray over her bed because she's an atheist. So she won't let me pray for her but I can pray over one space. I know she's going to be a lot. And I did that every single time I had the chance. I prayed over her bed that when she lay in the bed, she would encounter the power of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. And the doctors gave her 25% chance of living, 25% chance that the operation would be successful. And given it was stage four, they thought 75% chance that the cancer had already got into her blood. The The operation was successful and she lived. Now, was that the science? Maybe, but I actually think there was a miracle. Uh, her mother died of cancer, her sister died of cancer. Cancer in, in their family was very vicious, yeah? But I can't prove it. But I do believe God loves to work. There's things that we might say are coincidence where I actually think God is working, okay? And so don't be, don't be dull to the workings of God in, in smaller things. And be expectant, you know, we talk about miracles, we're not just talking about the crazy things, okay? although those are awesome, but look from the smaller things, look from the coincidences. If you look at how Paul talks about the gift of miracles, just for a little bit more definition, when he uses the word miracle, he's actually talking about power. Okay, so dunamis, power. The gift of power. And so when we think about some of the things that happened in the early church in the New Testament, we think about you know, what the Bible calls extraordinary miracles, the handkerchiefs taken from Paul and placed on sick people, and they were healed. Okay, Peter walking through the street and sick people being healed just as his shadow touched them. that so much power was emanating out of him. that people were healed. Okay, the gift of power. Some theologians put um, the um, you know, spiritual warfare and, and um, you know, ridding people of demons and uh, gifts of power, some don't. I think it is part of a gift of power. I think it's a power encounter, which some people clearly have more authority in than others. So I think that's part of the gift of miracles as well. If you look at some of the, the men that have, and women that have gone before us, you know, I often talk about Smith Wigglesworth, and, and he is someone that you know, we saw extraordinary miracles, power encounters. And the stories of Wigglesworth, like Peter, walking through the street and people being healed, just as he walked past them because there's so much power coming off him. Probably my my favorite story, um, and I didn't see this, but this happened to a friend, uh, a father of one of my friends, who was a preacher in Argentina. Um, Argentina had a crazy revival in the the 80s and into the 90s. And um, he was doing evangelism in the um, up in the rural areas, and he went to the small town. And the witches in the area, um, the witch doctors and, w- and witches found out that he was there to, to talk about Jesus, and they came into the town square, and they started to curse him, um, and the people, were, the Christians that were with him. And, and, um, and he started to rebuke them. It was quite cool, you know, I think I was just having this little you know, rebuke session um, <laughs> in public. And um, that doesn't happen every day, Marion. There there were these guys building um, a big stage for um, for what they were going to be doing um, that night Um, and these witches realised that they had no power to curse these these guys, uh, including my friend's father, so they they turned to leave and then as they got to the end of the town square, um, one of them turned around and and, and just shouted a curse at one of the workers and this guy fell off the scaffolding um, and impaled his head onto a rebar, went right through his head. Um, and he, you know, he was dead instantly. And um, so my friend's father um, felt the Lord saying to intervene. Um, and this, this just makes me scream, I thing about doing it later. And hopefully, I, mean, I mean, the Holy Spirit was with him, like, so maybe you know, it was easier. But he pulls the guy's head off the rebar and places him on the ground. And then prays for him to come alive and instantly the guy just pops back up and the wounds on his side of his head just heal before their eyes. Astounding. I kind of hope I'm never in the situation where I have to pray that, (laughs) you know? That's like, that's just scary. But that was power, the power of God moving. Um, Have any any of you watched the film or read the book uh, Faith Like Potatoes? You really should read it, okay? Especially farmer types, okay? (coughs) If you have a love for rural life, Tyler. Um, So there's there's this guy at the center of the story. Just, just, I'm gonna say this quickly, but just to paint the picture, this guy's not church raised, he's a Scotsman, somewhat of a slight alcoholic, violent temper, so not your ideal Christian. And he meets God, has a powerful conversion experience with God, and all his rage goes and he starts, he starts to know God, basically. And this story means a lot to me, because he actually, where he was based in South Africa, is, is near where I grew up. Um, and it's, it's a potato farming area. And this guy just takes God into his everyday life. Um, and two of my favorite miracles that he saw and he saw many raising the dead and all sorts of things. Um, but just natural miracles in terms of power. There was one occasion where a forest fire broke out um, and it was moving through the farmlands and, it was, and the wind was changing and it was threatening his land. Um, and he's standing there with his, his main um, foreman and he just prays for rain. And he just asks for it. Not in the Lord, please save us. He asks for it with the expectation that it will come and instantly clouds form and it rains and the fire is squished. The second and even more remarkable miracle was that he feels God calling him to plant potatoes in conditions where potatoes can't grow. And his foreman thinks he's absolutely insane but he plants this field with potatoes. And sure enough, the rain doesn't come. The soil is lifeless, it seems. The farmers around him have absolutely terrible crops. The day he goes to this foreman to dig up the ground, he literally has the expectation of nothing, except that he knows he's been obedient. And this is a chance for God to perform a miracle. And he digs up the soil, and he has an absolutely abundant crop. And there is no scientific understanding of how that happened. There was not enough water for the potatoes to actually physically grow. And yet they did. Okay. And he declared God's promises over that field. And then whether God grew them over time or whether they were just there when he prayed, but if God can make potatoes, You know, he can do anything. (laughs) We have a God who really does want to partner with us. And I'm going to talk about this more next week. He really, really wants us to partner with him. And like much, much of what I've been saying week after week after week and months after months now, and maybe you know, almost years after years, um, this all begins with surrender and, and, and with intimacy with Him. It's like I can go around declaring whatever I want and nothing's gonna happen, okay? But I can know God and I can be intimate with Him and I can walk with Him. I can just be available. And then and then I and and I have to be willing to take risks sometimes. Okay, and we're going to talk about this next week. Like, what does this actually mean for us to take these gifts and get out of the church? Okay, because this whole series has not been about us being better Christians. Okay. It's been about us learning the gifts of the Spirit to go out into the world and to use these gifts in the societies and the culture of the people around us. So we're going to talk about that. So I, w- I want to finish with just going back just going back to how our hearts respond to this idea of miracles. Are we skeptical? Are we excited? Are we hopeful? Would we like to see more? If you are intellectual and you're still struggling with these ideas, I really would encourage you to read J.P. Moreland's book and just wrestle with the theologian around miracles. It's amazing. If you've got time, read Craig Keener's book. You just need a lot more time. Okay. If you been in a position where you've really needed God to do something and he hasn't and you've been upset and cross with him and disappointed and you've got this check in your heart. Then you probably need some prayer you know, to come, come to the front, find friends and pray and just ask God to remove any burden, any skepticism, any pain from that experience. But don't keep carrying it. If you think, yeah, I believe in theory, but I just don't think it's for me, then my challenge to you is to find the scripture which allows you to think that. Okay? Find the scripture that allows you to consider yourself disqualified. And if you can't, no, when you can't, okay, start to believe. And finally, for everyone in the room, whether you've seen God move in miracles or whether you've never, and you, and you, and you, and, but you want, you want to be a part of his kingdom, just ask God increasingly to show you what it means to believe. It's this incredibly simple word that's so incredibly powerful at the same time. And there's so many depths to it. But ask him to show you what it means to believe, to believe his word believe that he is your righteousness believe that his Holy Spirit lives in you believe that he wants to partner with you believe that that's his way of seeing his kingdom come and his will be done would you pray with me Lord, you know each one of our hearts and you know where we are. Lord, I ask you to meet each one of your sons and daughters now in that place. And minister to them, Lord. Minister to us, Lord. Lord. Lord, would you open our hearts to your power, to your miracles? Will you open our hearts to the reality that you want to partner with us, that you delight in flowing through us in power? that just as you, Jesus, walked in power, so you have equipped us to walk in power. Lord, I pray that those words in John 14 would come alive to us. Let hope and let faith build. And Lord, I pray that increasingly in our lives, through this church and through your churches in this region, we will see your power manifest. And we will see your name glorified. We will see the world Bend to your name, Jesus. Just Give us hearts to believe, Lord. Give us ears to hear. Give us spirits that are joined with yours. We love you, Lord Jesus. Amen.